True Cult with Alex Bonniewell. For decades, films have portrayed all kinds of scenarios when it comes to aliens invading the Earth. The War of the Worlds model, where aliens turn up one day and just start obliterating everything in their path. Then there's the Close Encounters of the Third Kind model, where the aliens are leaving clues that they're coming, maybe collecting people along the way, but you're still not sure what to expect or what they might want. Then there's the aliens who are going to inhabit your body as part of their master plan to take over the Earth. In this model, they can come in the form of slugs, killer plants, or just knock you unconscious when you enter a certain town so that when you wake up, you find that you're pregnant with a child who has white hair and wicked ESP with their siblings. But if aliens were here already, what if they were living among us, perhaps laying dormant and waiting for the right time, or just moving about their daily lives by our side? Well, True Cult with Alex Bonniewell shares some of his Aliens on Earth films. And Alex, there are films aplenty when it comes to aliens already living on Earth, but how would you describe the films that you've picked? They're a very mixed bunch. We've got some a, a very surreal UK movie from the 80s, probably one of the best Aliens on Earth films from New Zealand, some space vampires, and a film set in kind of modern-day Johannesburg. So, Alex, where are we going to start? We're going to start in 1982 with the bizarre Extro. Tony's father has been away a long time. Now he's coming home. Extro has returned. Once a man, he is now something more than human. Indestructible, ever-changing, evil. His mission, to avenge, to possess, to destroy. Why did you come back? I came back for you. Oh, my God. Extro. Bearing powers of black magic from deep space. If you think hard about something, you can make it happen. Extro. Some extraterrestrials aren't friendly. From New Line Cinema, rated R. Alex, if this trailer is anything to go by, there are a lot of things being born in this film. <laughs> There are. I've never heard that trip. Black magic from outer space. That sounds awesome. Um, I saw this film when it first came out. I was about 1983, 84. Me and some friends hide it from the video shop going, oh, sci-fi movie, extra. Oh, it's got a, like a, a, whatever it was, X certificate. And they just went, yeah, you can have it, lads. And we took <laughs> it home and, and sat there and watched it. And by the end of it, we were like, what, what did we just see? This wasn't like anything we'd ever seen before. And seriously, if you watch it now, it's like, Nothing you've ever seen, ever. So this is a very unique and bizarre British film, directed by the very British named Harry Bromley Davenport. And this sounds is, promising. <laughs> yeah, so this is a father, Sam, who's abducted by aliens, only to return three years later and try and re- reunite with his family. But while he's been away, something has changed and he's no longer completely human. So yeah, Extra has this very surreal edge to it as a movie. The creature design is great. It took me a while to work out how they'd done it when you first see the first incarnation of um, Sam, which weirdly took on a viral Facebook post about three or four years ago with people using a picture of the alien from Extro as proof that Native American um, 
skinwalkers were a real thing. What? <laughs> yeah, it popped up and there's always people going, no, this is from Extro, stop it. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that's how cool the creature design looks. Um, there are some great, great effects in this. The birthing of Sam is a high bar in low budget cinema gross out. Um, and even rewatching this a, a few nights ago, I still sat there and went, Oh, I forgot how grim that was. Um, anyway. <laughs> it's pretty full on in the trailer. So if you are going to yeah. check out the trailer, just a yeah. warning, like I said, a lot of things being birthed in this film. Yes. Don't go into it lightheartedly. Anyway, Sam is back and his wife can't quite work out where he's been and a new boyfriend is very wary, but his son Simon is over the moon that dad has returned. You know, of course, everyone is being set up to be killed off and this happens in increasingly weird ways, some involved in a psychotic dwarf clown, another involving a full-size action man, and there's a toy tank firing live ammo and all sorts of crazy stuff. This is incredibly inventive. And even though it borrows heavily from the likes of Alien and E.T. and Close Encounters and stuff like that, it still comes across as a very original film. And once you've seen it, you'll never quite forget what you've been watching. But yeah, I, I, if you've never seen Extro and you want a very different sci-fi alien story, then yeah, definitely check it out. Alex, I like that the blurb on this film was a man who is abducted by aliens returns to his family three years later, but his presence affects them negatively. You think? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Rihanna Patrick. This is ABC Radio and True Cult with Alex Bonniewell is exploring aliens on Earth. You know, those films where aliens are already here and living amongst us. And Alex, I wasn't surprised when this New Zealand offering was on your list. And I am, of course, talking about bad taste. At last, the story that made Meryl Streep throw up is now the movie that Steven Spielberg wouldn't dare to do. Monty Python meets the evil dead in Bad Taste. It's a gourmet's delight with 2,300 bone-chipping, blood-dripping shots. Count them if you have the guts. Thrill to adventure beyond belief. I just hope we're in time to save the world. The Incredible exploding sheep, sickened by bizarre alien rituals. That's gross. From New Zealand, the land that taste forgot comes the masterpiece juicier than an all-black jockstrap. The old magic's still there. It's the most awful movie of the year. With more chainsaws than a lumberjack cap. The place is like a bloody avatar. It's bad taste greeted. I'm born again. If you have half a brain, grab the video now. Alex, I just love that, the land that taste forgot. And not sure how true this is, but apparently that film was banned in Queensland. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, this this was censored for Australia up until very recently. I had a minute cut out of it I was reading earlier. But anyway, yeah, so this is Bad Taste from 1987. That's one of the best trailers I've ever heard right? on True Cult. That's <laughs> awesome. So... This is Peter, Lord of the Rings, Jackson's first movie, shot over a four-year period on weekends with his mates. Um, this is a remote New Zealand town taken over by some nasty aliens who want to create an intergalactic burger chain using humans as the meat in their patties. The boys are sent in to see what's happening. So you've got Aussie, Barry, Frank and Derek. Derek is played by Jackson himself. He also plays the minister and Robert the alien. Um, and they try and stop the aliens dastardly plan, planning the shower of schoolboy humour and excessive splatter. And as the trailer says, it's some of the best and grossest 
splatter and gore you've ever seen. The vomit bowl scene is still mega gross and fantastic. This is a truly is a masterclass of of making a film with no cash, but a head full of insane ideas and a bunch of mates who are up for a challenge and a laugh. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've seen this and rewatching it. I knew pretty much every line of every scene. Now, this was probably one of the most watched and borrowed movies in my collection throughout the late eighties to the mid nineties. I had never seen anything like it when it was released and neither had any of my friends. And anytime someone was around, we'd put it on and watching it again, even though this was Peter Jackson and his friends messing around on weekends. You can see that Jackson was a brilliant filmmaker and destined for much better things when he made this. There's stuff here and the shots that he creates, which are mind blowing. The false perspective you have on the, the cliff top where Derek is torturing Robert, dangling over the edge of the cliff, dizzying. I'm, I'm still watching it now, just kind of going, how did they do those shots? They, did, they didn't have the money for a big camera boom to do stuff how did they get those elevated shots it's like they would have stood on a step ladder and done that whole false perspective thing that they did in in the old black and white movies of buster keaton and harold lloyd and stuff he's obviously studied all these films gone how can we do that there's some very crude humor in this if you're offended (laughs) by crude humor then you know this isn't a film for you but if, if you love that stuff and you love just lashings of gore then dive straight in to the gooey splatteriness of bad taste it is it is a quite unique film could only have been made by a guy and his mates in new zealand in the 80s and yeah just tremendous fun with no script allegedly <laughs> uh but yeah you're right if you know a bowl of yogurt and muesli with green food coloring isn't your thing yeah. you may yeah. want to just See, pass it <laughs> weirdly as well saying that all the buster keaton movies were made with no script they, they just made it up as they went along until they were gone, we've got enough, done. So it, it doesn't surprise me that there's no script. There wasn't an initial script to it or anything. You just went, we'll just do this until we've got enough stuff. And then, yeah, we're sorted. You know, and again, that kind of harks back to the influences, I think, that come into this movie. So, yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. And I think it probably works better for it. It's really, really cool fun. I mean, I remember getting a flyer for this when it came out and I kept it because on the front of the flyer had the alien flicking the bird and it just said, I'm a Derek and Derek's don't die. And Derek was my dad's name. And I kept the flyer and stuck it to a piece of cardboard. And that was his birthday card for that year. (laughs) What did he think of it? (laughs) He just laughed. (laughs) I was like, there you go, dad. He was like, what's this? Oh, great. Put it on the mantelpiece next to the cards with flowers and stuff on them. (laughs) This is ABC Radio. I'm Rihanna Patrick and True Cult with Alex Bonniewell is looking at aliens on Earth, those films where the aliens are already here and living amongst us. Now, Alex, let's check out what these space vampires are doing in London in Life Force. From the director of Poltergeist and the writer of Alien comes a terrifying new film. I'm getting a very small radar cross-section. 150 miles long. EGR's confirmed. Tell them we have an artificial object out here. In the tale of Haley's Comet, there's something wrong. Something ancient. Something evil. Jesus. Houston, we have a problem. Something's happening to me. Something hungry. That's brought to Earth. 
she's destroyed worlds. That girl was no girl. She was totally alien to this planet and our life form. And totally dangerous. Life Force. The terror has just begun. Uh, Alex, tell me about the terror beginning. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a life force from 1987. So two names very familiar with tr- to True Cult. We've got Toby Hooper, director of, as you heard from the he- Poltergeist and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1 and 2. And Dan O'Bannon, who wrote this, um, he wrote Alien and he directed The Return of the Living Dead. This was based on a book by Colin Wilson, who seemed to churn out books every other week on various supernatural stuff. And the book was called The Space Vampires. So that gives you an idea of how good this film is going to be. So this is Hooper making pretty much a modern-day Hammer film. Very British. Um, it's got lots of very well-to-do army types, well-spoken scientists, and some core blimey governor locals, and a beautiful naked space vampire wandering around the place. The plot is the space shuttle Churchill discovers a huge 150-mile-long gothic-looking spacecraft attached to Halley's Comet. Once on board, they discover a ship full of dead bat-like aliens and three naked humanoids encased in glass-like coffins, which they take back to their ship and begin the journey back to Earth. On the way, the Churchill loses contact and another ship is sent to find the Churchill. Once found, we realise that the inside is all burnt out and there are and only the three naked humanoids are on board and one escape pod is missing, which we later find out contains Colonel Tom Coulson, who somehow survived whatever happened on board the shuttle. It is soon discovered that the naked people are in fact space vampires that suck the life force from people, turning them into desiccated zombie husks. So it's time to send in SAS man Colonel Colin Kane, played by Peter Frith, to hunt the aliens down. He's very British, he wears a turtleneck and is afraid of nothing. They also have appearances from Patrick Stewart, Michael Gothard and Frank Finlay and some of the fantastic, most fantastically dreadful dialogue and some pretty memorable effects work. This is a truly, truly bonkers film and highly enjoyable. Look, he had me at Space Vampires in it's, London. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he looks like they had a complete blast making it. It's been described as the greatest naked space vampire zombies from Halley's Comet running on a mock in London end of the world movie ever made. And if Whoa. that doesn't make you want to see Life Force, <laughs> I don't know what will. Watching this again, I've just I'd forgotten just how crazy a film this is. And you're just kind of watching it going, where are we going now? Oh, okay. Right, this can't get any weirder. Oh, no, it is. So, yeah, I, I can't imagine this was anything but a, a hoot to make. I really enjoyed Toby Hooper's films. I mean, he's, he's made a oh, couple look, of clangers. Yeah. But, you know, Life Force isn't one of them. He just is. I could just watch pretty much most of the things that he's done over that time. I just love. Yeah. I just love anything. And I mean, this like it sounds like an absolutely ridiculous premise, but I'm there. <laughs> like you don't yeah. have to tell me twice. I'm completely there. Again, don't know how true this is, but. I think there was a scene on one of those, on a freezing cold English moor where Toby Hooper nearly lost an ear during shooting that because I think it was so cold. So, you know, he put his body on the line for this one. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, no, it's a great, great movie. And I must get round to getting the remastered Blu-ray version because it's going to look even more nuts. I just love the fact that it, it looks and feels like a Hammer Horror movie made by an American who thinks this is how Hammer Horror movies should be made. So it's not quite Hammer Horror because you've got an American making it going, no, 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 we've got to make it more British than British. How do we make it more British? Can we have someone from the SAS? Brilliant. Can we just have everyone having really plummy English accents, apart from the common people who've got to sound like Mary Poppins Cockneys? Excellent. <laughs> 
Look, Alex, I would have loved to have seen Billy Idol as one of the vampires had that casting decision come to fruition. (laughs) (laughs) Where do you find these facts? I was like, Billy Idol is surely not. He wouldn't have done much. Maybe he was busy. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, look, what, 85, 87, bit busy? Had a few things on? Yeah. But, you know, (laughs) it it would have been his kind of like acting debut and all he would have done was lie naked for most of his role in it and then walked around naked for a bit and then got killed off and that would have been it. But, you know, it would have been fun to see Billy Idol. Look, that just sounds like a casual Saturday night for Billy Idol in my mind. So I don't think there would have been much acting involved. No, probably not. Alex, look, let's go from a film which used a real BBC newsreader to an alien race known as the Prawns in District 9. Nobody comes back late at night anymore. They have more security. The government noticed that they were moving into new areas. That's when things started to get out of hand. They don't belong here. They're spending so much money to keep them here when they could be spending it on other things. At least they're keeping them separate from us. A lot of bad things started to happen. They must just go. I don't know where they go. They must just go. We're at the breaking point. People are living in fear. Why are you here? Why don't you just leave? How do your weapons work? Alex, this film blew my mind when it was first released and I got everything that it was telling me and I really felt for the prawns. This is District 9 from 2009. Um, This is director Neil Blomkamp's feature debut and is a modern-day tale of segregation and fear. Um, As you heard from the trailer... Interesting way this is filmed. I like how it's like half of it's kind of like news reports, half of it's kind of like documentary. The big chunks of it are like a traditional kind of movie setup. This is set in the South African city of Johannesburg. And in 1982, a giant spaceship settles above them. A few weeks of nothing happening, the government forces are sent in and they find a bedraggled alien population on board and resettle them in the refugee camp slash shanty town known as District 9. Now, 28 years later, the cruelly named prawns, because the aliens look like bipedal crustaceans, are being moved on to another camp outside of the city. Into this story, enter head of operations Vickers van der Meer, played brilliantly by um, Charlotte Copley, who is in charge of the eviction operation. During the clear-out, he is exposed to an alien contaminant that slowly starts to alter his DNA into that of the prawns. This also means he now has the ability to fire the alien weaponry that has been puzzling scientists for the last 28 years. So fearing for his life at the hands of the agency, Vickers flees back into District 9 to find help from, first of all, the Nigerian gangsters that exploit the aliens for their weaponry, even though they can't work it, and then seeking help from the very aliens he was trying to evict. Now, this is great sociopolitical sci-fi. Brilliant effects and amazing creature design from the Peter at Wetterworks, which is Peter Jackson's effects company. This was the first time I think I'd seen a genre movie from South Africa. So it has a very different feel and a very different take on stuff than a regular Hollywood production would. I mean, I can put comparisons to Alien Nation with this, but that was a very Hollywood thing where the aliens 
come down, they're not threatening, and they, they try and integrate them into society. But this is like the aliens are so separate from the humans in District 9. They, they, there's no way they can integrate with human society. They're so completely different in the way they, they act, the way they interact, how they eat, how they behave. They come across as primitive in a way, but they're far from that because they got this giant spaceship and these kind of like insane looking weaponry that they keep finding. And as the story goes on, you we realise that these aliens aren't the prawns, which is a very derogatory name for them hmm. that they've been given. You know, they are highly intelligent. They're just stuck and they don't know how to leave. Incredible but there's also thinking. that question too of why they don't let them leave in a way. And it's like, yeah, it, it seems to be that, that the authorities are just happy to keep them in this camp and try and control them because they obviously want something from them, but they don't know how to get it from them. You know, they want to know how the technology works, but they can't be shown how the technology works because the aliens don't want to communicate with them or the aliens that do know how the technology works don't want to tell the humans how it works because then they know that it may be used against them. It's a, it's a very interesting film. Even though it's good, entertaining sci-fi, there's some very serious questions oh, completely. that go on in this. And you know. Alex, it's one of those films that I left the cinema, it really fully, there was a lot going on. And it's a, one of those films that I really can't watch again, even though I loved it. Absolutely just, I really just enjoyed it. I mean, Weta Workshop did a lot of work on this as well, but I just, there, it, yeah, there was just so much in there that I could, I think, relate to in a way that just made me go, I can't watch this. I can't rewatch this film. Like it's in that bucket of films that sit yeah. there. Well, I love them. They are definitely on my DVD shelf, but I would never go back and watch them because it's just, it's, it's a little bit too much, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, I totally understand that. It's, it's, it's got some very hefty questions and politics in a, in a film. Again, this is why I like genre movies. They can disguise some very weighty questions and answers in a very entertaining way. Oh, and you they've know, been doing that could, for a long time, haven't oh, they? Oh, a long, long time. One of my favourite eras of American sci-fi is the whole Red Scare stuff where they're using science fiction to go, the Russians! It's very interesting watching this film and when they're doing the TV interviews and you've got white and black South Africans saying the same thing about the prawns when it would have just been the white South Africans saying that about the black South Africans not too far in the distant past. Mm. So you're kind, of, you're kind of going, wow, they've actually shifted that prejudice onto the people that were at the bottom of the social ladder and now there's someone something below where they were so they can go i'm above you yeah so that very very cool film i, I really enjoy neil neil blomkamp's movies i don't think i've watched anything that i've disliked oh chappy uh, was the same for me i just felt so sad for chappy again a film i yeah. can't watch a second time oh, <laughs> I, it, that that destroys me at the end Chappie. yeah i, I know it, yeah. Gets, it, it gets a lot of rubbishing and I know a lot of people don't like it and they don't like they think it's sentimental and they don't think it's a decent film but i really enjoy Chappie. i think it's it hits all the all the notes it's trying to hit yeah just see yeah. both district nine yeah. for <laughs> aliens on earth films and then just on an aside just watch Chappie as well yeah. Now, Alex, before we run out of time, what new releases uh, have you got for me this month? We've got a trio of releases from Eagle Entertainment this month. We've got The Dangerous Cult in Jackals, 
cannibalistic nightlife in habit and an assassin near retirement in dead in a week or your money back as ever with all the, the movies we've talked about tonight i shall put the trailers up over at facebook.com slash true cult movies and next month I think we're going to delve into the realm of gangster films. Oh, look, it was about time. It was going to happen, yeah. wasn't it? <laughs> but, you know, this, this is true cult, so expect some some kind of off-the-wall gangster movies. Well, Alex, I'll check you again next month. Brilliant. Speak to you soon. That was True Cult with Alex Bonniewell. And if you'd like to know more about those new releases, you can find the True Cult new releases podcast up now on the ABC Listen app at abc.net.au slash abcre or on whatever app you use to subscribe to podcasts. ABC, celebrating the UN Year of Indigenous Languages. Hello, my name is Philemon Mosby. I'm a Puruma man from the Kukagal Nations in the central Torres Strait. Did you know that the proper name for Coconut Island in the central part of the Torres Strait is Puruma, which means to humbly submit? That's their nature in general. They're very humbled, laid-back people. Find more place name stories at abc.net.au slash thisplace. This is Rihanna Patrick on ABC Radio.